The Day My Silent Brother Spoke by Jim Watson. Awkward and numb, I could not imagine how to reach our grandmother. But Paige knew just what to do. It was my mother's wedding day, a hot summer morning in a small stone church in the foothills of Virginia's Blue Ridge Mountains. She was 60 and never more radiant as she opened this new chapter in her life. Outside the church, Mother called us all together for a few serious words. Go and see Grandma now, she said. Don't be upset if she doesn't seem to know you. Strokes and heart disease had left my 89-year-old grandmother lying crumpled and uncomprehending in a nursing home bed. As I drove through town, I looked around at my passengers. Here we were, the grandchildren. A banker, a musician, an entrepreneur, a lawyer, a journalist. And next to the window in the back seat, sitting quietly, was Paige. How would this affect him? Probably not at all. He would never understand what was happening. Paige, my younger brother by four years, has been brain damaged from birth. He does not speak cannot hear and sees poorly through his remaining eye. He stopped growing when he was 150 centimetres tall and struggles against obesity. A wall of autism shuts him away from the outside world. He spends most of his time lost in his own musings, nodding, laughing, clucking and crying at a pageant only he can see. Growing up, his brothers played football, drove cars, made friends and went out with pretty girls. Paige stayed home, entertaining himself on a rope swing, staring at television or playing with a torch, his lifelong fascination. One by one, the rest of us went off to school, got jobs, married and moved away. Paige travelled to dreary institutions and rehabilitation centres, where he learned the basics of reading and using tools. Now 34, he has a room in a private home and a job with a small workshop for people like him. He is on his own, and at last he is happy. But it wasn't always this way. During his teens, Paige struggled with the emotional overload of adolescence. Seized by fits of anger, he would burst into uncontrollable tears, rake his fingernails down his face until his cheeks bled, or, frustrated by newly forming cataracts, jab at his eyes with pencils. He passed through several distinct phases, each of them marked by a peculiar ritual. First, there was ground kissing. Every so often, for no apparent reason, he would stop in mid-step, drop to his knees, and give the floor or footpath a long, passionate kiss. Wiping the dirt from his lips, he would calmly stand up and with an air of accomplishment, continue on his way. Ground kissing gave way to spinning on the spot. From a sitting position, Paige would suddenly stand up, twirl round as if he were unwinding himself from an invisible string, and then, satisfied, take his seat. He whirled three times, never more, never less. One Sunday in church, Paige decided to unravel during the sermon. First, a rustle of papers and clothes. Then he stood, knocking a hymn book loudly to the floor. All eyes turned to investigate the disturbance. Children gawked, bewildered. I stared at the church bulletin, my face burning. For years, my reaction to Paige's behaviour was anger, resentment, embarrassment. Why him? Why me? I was sure that he saved his most humiliating stunts for when we were out in public. People stared. Paige was strange. Did they think there was something strange about our whole family? About me? 
As I got older, however, I began to understand that he had no control over his actions, that I could not judge him as I judge others. He wasn't trying to be difficult or strange. He was simply lost, never to be found. As he drifted further away, I gave up trying to recover the brother I had been denied. Shame and anger turned into acceptance. In time, if I caught anyone staring at the frowning, clucking little fat man with hearing aids in both ears and pockets bulging with magnifying glasses and torches, I stared back defiantly. Just before we left for the nursing home, Mum had pencilled the words Visit Grandma for Paige in large letters on a napkin. Yet no one expected him to grasp our purpose, to understand that this might be our last visit. As I continued to drive, other memories floated through my mind. Vivid memories of my 80-year-old grandma, arms like sticks, pushing her old lawnmower up the slope of her backyard, dismissing able-bodied volunteers with a shrug. Grandma's thin, shaking fingers carefully unwrapping Christmas presents to avoid tearing the paper, which she always folded neatly by her side. And of course, talking. Always talking. The sound of Grandma's voice accompanies every memory of her. She spoke not in sentences or even paragraphs, but in entire chapters, convoluted and strung together by breathless ands, buts, and anyways. We seldom asked questions for fear of opening the floodgates. Instead, we listened, playing polite audience, nodding at appropriate moments even as we calculated how to steer her back to the subject, if we could remember it, or blurt out a quick thought of our own. Oh, I know I talk too much, she would sometimes sigh. Your mother tells me I do. While Grandma could not listen and Paige could not talk, they still understood each other perfectly. In his silent fortress, Paige was unaware of the impenetrable wall of words Grandma built around herself. She kissed him and smiled at him, and more importantly, accepted him just as he was. She never showed disappointment that he was not normal but rather regarded him with fascination, patience and warmth. One day Paige broke a torch and brought it to her, hoping she could fix it. I remember her perplexed, earnest face as she fumbled with the cheap plastic gadget. She poked and wiggled the thing and finally, looking sorrowful, shook her head and handed it back to Paige. He walked away, to return a few minutes later and try again. She fumbled some more, then gave it back. It was still broken. The next morning, Grandma drove to the store and bought him a new one. We arrived at the nursing home and stepped into her room. The strokes had left Grandma trembling and unresponsive. The hollow, gaping mask that stared up from her pillow was the face of a wizened stranger. Her mouth hung open. Her wide, misty eyes blinked and stared but appeared not to see. I patted her small, frail hand and my mind filled with images from a not-so-distant past. This very hand used to produce steaming loaves of the best bread on God's earth. This patient, loving hand didn't stop waving from Grandma's front porch until our car, packed with grandchildren, had disappeared round the corner. Now, lying limply by her side, her delicate, cool hand felt so soft I was afraid I might accidentally hurt her. We stood round the bed, smiling uncomfortably, and mumbling that everything would be all right. My older cousin was the most at ease. They treating you all right in this place, old girl, he asked. I watched her face closely for a sign of recognition. Nothing. Silence didn't suit Grandma. Stripped of her verbal armour, Grandma seemed exposed, vulnerable, 
and, as I realised with sadness, suddenly approachable. For the first time, I was free to talk as much as I wanted, but I could think of nothing to say to her. We love you, Grandma, I said finally, wondering if I was reaching her. My words hung in the air, sounding distant and insincere. Paige was standing quietly next to the window, his face brilliant red, tears streaming from his eyes. Just then, he pushed through the group and made his way to the bed. He leaned over Grandma's withered figure and took her cheeks gently in his hands. Head bowed, he stood there for an eternity, cradling her face and soaking her gown with his tears. Those of us with healthy ears were deaf to the volumes being spoken in that wonderful, wordless exchange. I felt a rush of warmth deep inside me. It surged upward like an inexorable flood, filling my eyes until the room melted in a wash of colours and liquid shapes. As the pictures blurred, my perception snapped into brilliant focus. How wrong I had been about Paige. Far better than the rest of us, he knew the true meaning of our visit. He knew it perfectly because he grasped it not with his head, but with his heart. Like a child unrestrained by propriety or ego, he had the freedom, courage and honesty to reach out in pain to Grandma. This was love, simple and pure. I saw that Paige's condition, for all the grief it brings, is in one sense a remarkable and precious gift. For among the many things my brother was born without is the capacity for insincerity. He cannot show what he does not feel, nor can he suppress urgent emotion. Inside him is a clear channel straight to the centre of his soul. As I stood next to him, consumed by his expression of unselfish love, I stopped wondering why Paige could not be more like me. At that moment, I wanted to be more like him. We kissed Grandma, one by one, and slowly filed out of the room. I was the last to leave. Bye, Grandma, I said. As I turned to look at her one last time, I noticed her lips come together as if she was trying to speak. Somehow, if for an instant, she mustered the strength to say goodbye. That's when I knew Paige had reached her. That afternoon by Grandma's deathbed, when none of us knew what to say, my speechless brother had said it all. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Readers Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price. Thank you.